Come with me on a journey through Daniel. Let me start you off. So a young man, Mark Ashton Smith, is in the Isle of Wight, Great Britain, uh, there in, in, in the border uh, of France, or just over the road, over the sea uh, from the country, and he's kayaking when all of a sudden his kayak turns over. A normal thing if you do kayaking. Now, you think he had his phone with him. Who do you think he would have phoned in that emergency? Well, it's <laughs> well you're almost right, actually, Bron, because rather than phoning the Coast Guard, he phones his dad, his father, apt for today, for Father's Day. And his father is 3,500 miles away in Dubai teaching British soldiers warfare. I mean, why would he do that? Except that he knew his dad was the answer to, he, to his predicament. His, da- his dad immediately phoned the Coast Guard, guard all the way over in Britain. They came out to him. And within 12 minutes, he's rescued. The interesting point, and the one I want to get across to you, is, is that when he was at wit's end, in the worst predicament imaginable, he phoned his father. Here's the challenge to us. When we find ourselves in, at wit's end, in the worst predicament we can imagine, do we get a direct line with our Father? Do we go firstly, earnestly, passionately, desperately to our Father? That's a challenge. Bear that in mind as we work through this together. So we're in Daniel 9. We know that Daniel is a man of prayer. How do we know that? We're told, because even on the pain of death, when they say there's a ban on praying, I mean, you can't imagine that, can you? A ban on praying, Daniel, three times a day, it's Daniel 6, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he'd done before the edict to ban praying. This is a man of prayer. And so it's not surprising we get now get a close-up of what his prayer life looked like. You know, how did this man of prayer pray? What were the components of it? What accompanied his prayer? What can we learn from it? Let me take you on this journey. Hope and grace is our theme for the book. And the point today, and the point today, I'll read it from the screen. If I could just have the next uh, heading, thank you. Take it to the Lord in prayer in earnest confession and petition. Take it to the Lord in prayer, in earnest confession and petition. I nearly had the hymn, uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. We've sang it so many times recently. I thought we'd just go with something different. But it's, it's a play on that. Take it to the Lord in prayer, in earnest confession and petition. Verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes... Okay, so Darius is a new leader now, we believe, and there's some confusion in this in history, but this is Cyrus. Darius is a name of enthronement. This is King Cyrus. We now have a new superpower in place. It's the Medo-Persians. If you remember chapter 8, who was in power in chapter 8? Does anyone remember? Uh, the Babylonians, thank you, and Belshazzar, uh, the final and last king or, or a regent. He wasn't really the king. The king was his father who was absent at the time and he was left in power. So it's 10 years on. So we look, 
what does that tell you? Look, Daniel is now 80. He was, he was absconded to this country when he was a teenager. He had that, vi- uh, he interpreted the vision when he was in early, st- early 20s. Uh, he's thrown to the lions. With a, he's about 60. He had this vision. He's about 70. Now he's, uh, he has this prayer and he hears from God. He's now 80 odd. Well, four or five times in a span of 80 years. What does that tell you about this, the miraculous and supernatural intervention in God, of God in people's lives throughout Scripture? This is one example. What does it tell you about it? It's, it was constant. It was something, I was looking for something contrary to that. So four episodes over 80 years. It's irregular. We read the Bible, don't we? And we read these stories of the miraculous and we go away, oh, it's just a, a phase, a crazy, continuous episode of hearing from God and seeing God and the miraculous. The miraculous and even in the Old Testament were, were small periods and they were vast distances apart. Take the healing of Naaman. Remember what the prophet said, what Jesus said about that? How many sick people that were in Israel, none of those were healed, but one foreigner of leprosy. And so I think here's the first thing I just want us to know, friends, is that the, the, the spectacular and the hearing from God and the visions aren't so prevalent as we like to think. Daniel had four over 80 years and no one else did in his time. No one else did in his time. And so I think one thing it helps us do and it puts the context of this book is to be living in the reality of the life God has called us to. And almost always, it's pretty mundane. It's pretty regular. Do you know, I've been in ministry for, for, I've been a Christian for 30 years, been in ministry for 10. In fact, I've actually never actually heard God speak to me. I've felt God speak through his word and I've seen him at work in circumstances but I haven't seen half of what Daniel has seen. Life, the Christian life, is regularly and mostly lived in just a mundane reality of life. It does interpose on occasions in the most spectacular way. And we revel in that. But it's not the norm. Remember what, what we call that? People who think that's the norm? It's overrealized eschatology, that's, that's error, doctrinal error. So here's Daniel, he has this vision, it's 10 years since he last heard anything from God. He's in earnest prayer, verse, verse two. I, Daniel, understand from the scriptures, according to the word of Jeremiah the prophet, the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. What's Daniel doing? He's in exile, it's 10 years since he last heard from God, he's serving foreign kings, what's his occupation or what takes up his time? The study of the word of God. Here's a man who somehow has got a hold of the scriptures, the holy scriptures, which wasn't an easy thing in that time. And his head is in there and he's diligently looking through it. He's no no doubt read of the prophecies of Isaiah, Isaiah predicting Cyrus is coming to power. He's no doubt read of Jeremiah's warnings time and time again of exile. And now he reads in Jeremiah's warning, amidst the warning, hope. 
Ever before the exile occurred, God tells him he's going to banish them into a foreign country. But within that uh, pronouncement of discipline, there's hope. And this is the grace of God, the wonder of God, that even in discipline, he speaks hope. And here it is, this is what he would have been reading. Jeremiah 25, this is what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. I will banish them from the sounds of joy and gladness. Verse 11, the whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for how long? God's going to banish them from the land but there's a time restriction on it. Hallelujah! How long for? 70 years. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed uh, for Babylon or in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promises to you to bring you back to this place. So two things, he discerns from studying the scriptures. A, I think it's the next slide, A, that Israel will be exiled, and B, B, that the exile would be time restricted. It will last 70 years. He's 1,500 kilometers from home, from his birthplace. He's subject to a foreign king, and this is the third by now. It's been nearly 70 years since he arrived in that country, and Daniel has now, it seemed, discovered in God's word that the future of the Israelites is due to end, and in hearing God's purposes for his people, it inspires prayer. Listen to this. So when I learned uh, that the period was to be restricted to the 70 years, and when I realized we're there, what does he do? So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and in petition and in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. It's almost as though he, he feels the need to remind God what God has said. You know, we sometimes wonder, don't we, what's the point of praying? He already knows what's best for us, doesn't he? Daniel knew that God had written in Scripture what's best for Israel. And nevertheless, he prays in real genuineness and real earnestness. He uses prayer as a, as a means of reaching God. Notice he's fast, something we did together a couple of weeks ago, we preached on. It's a way of devoting himself to God, he's wearing sackcloth, that's like coarse clothing, ashes on his head, it's a sign of remorse or sorrow, repentance, and he comes before God to pray. This is what Sinclair Ferguson, the Scottish commentator writes, God employs prayer as the means by which he is pleased to fulfill his word. So Daniel goes to prayer, and not just casual prayer, Earnest prayer. This is prolonged. This is costing him something. This is hunger. This is being uncomfortable. Uh, this is walk, looking as though we're mourning. It's quite obvious Daniel is going through something very, very difficult. And here's the point for us, Christian. Here's the point. Let me go straight into a point here. Is that if we're going to pray, don't play around with God. Don't bother praying if it's just some passing fad about a, a, a present difficulty which we're likely to forget tomorrow. 
you know, look, I guess most of us here have kids. You certainly have, <laughs> right? You've Are these your first children? Okay, so here's the reality. In, just as soon as they're growing up, they'll want this and they'll want that and they'll want that. And I'll ask you over and over and over again. But by day two or day seven, you'll never hear about it again. They see the latest thing and they want it then and then or something takes their fancy and you've been pestered for the next 10 minutes, but within a day or two, you never hear about it again. Or if you do, it's like yesterday's story. We sometimes treat God and prayer like that. Oh, yeah, God, I really want you to save my husband and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray. Within a couple of days, you're on to the next thing. And it's little wonder that God hears. If Daniel tells us anything, he tells us that prayer must be earnest, sincere, deliberate, continuous. It must cost us something. It must demonstrate the earnestness by which we desire it. You remember the story that Jesus told of the, of the widow who, who couldn't get what she wanted from the judge, from the magistrate? So what did she do? I'm going to wake these kids up and I'll try to keep away. So what did she do? She pestered and pestered and pestered and pestered until the guy, look at it, says, because the widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice and she, she, otherwise she'll wear me out with her coming. And is Jesus saying this about God? Not that we can wear God out, but he wants to see that we really want it. He doesn't give away great, spectacular miracles just like that. You've got to want it. It's got to mean something to you. We need to demonstrate what it means to us. And we must pursue it as though it's the only thing that we want in this life. And so Daniel pleads with God in prayer, petition, fasting, sackcloth and ashes. In 14 to 19, the verses now, we have an abridged version of his prayer. I think it's important to remember all the prayers, all the sermons, all these things that are recorded, the Acts sermon in chapter 2, the Pentecostal sermon, they're not the whole thing ever. They're always abridged versions of them. You, you wouldn't have a book big enough to record some of these talks. And remember how long Paul talked for? Hours and hours and hours. And one night he's talking that long, the guy died. Fell off the window ledge. Remember we said that? And died. And so in order to make sure this man could keep listening to his sermon, Paul raised him from the dead and made him sit on the window again. And so, look, there's no way scripture can encapsulate everything. So this is an abridged version of his prayer. See, I warned you, didn't I? I'm sorry. I'll, I'll move over here. <laughs> this is an abridged version of his prayer. And so and we're going to look at an abridged version of the abridged version of his prayer. So I'm going to be very brief. Here's what we notice. Verses 4 to 15. There's confession and penitence. Verses 16 to 19, there's plea and petition. So we can break it into two halves. Confession, penitence, the first part. Plea, petition. If I had one more P, that would have been great, wouldn't it? <laughs> Blast. Uh, okay, let me go with uh, verses 14 to 15 first. Confession and penitence. I pray to the Lord my God and confess, O Lord, the great and awesome God. How is it relating to this being? What does he think of this being? I'm going to stand here. What does he think of this being? Yeah. Pardon? Yeah. Why else pray to him? Why bother praying to him? 
What can he do for you? Him. I mean, the reason he prays to him and not him is because he can do something for you. It's why we don't pray to little statues. And please forgive me if that offends you. It's why we don't bow to carvings. What can they do for you? Yeah. Daniel prays to the God who is awesome. Look, I know awesome like like real cool word. It actually means someone of such stature that you're in awe. Wow. That's how I feel every time I see Pam. Wow. There you go, Pam. That's a freebie. Okay, and, and so here he's praying to the God who can make a difference to his life. Verse 4, it can, continues. He prays, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey, and obey his commands. And obey his commands. Can you, what's covenant? What's covenant telling you about Daniel and God? What's that word telling us? He's in prayer to this God, and there's something about God and Daniel that the word covenant tells us. They have a relationship. relationship. You're in a covenant. With who? Okay, beyond that, on this planet, you're in a covenant with her. Yeah, the the ginger girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's an established relationship. Here's Daniel, he's in a covenant relationship. The reason he's praying to this God, the reason he expects something from this God, because he's in a relationship, a contractual relationship with this God. It's a contract whereby God promises his favor, his love, his care in the response of Daniel and his people to him through faithfulness to his word. It's something I've been emphasizing since I've been here that to be in relationship with God, even in the new covenant, entails faithfulness to his word. And so here's a man who is reminding God that God, we're in a relationship here. We're in a relationship. And though we failed you, we received our due, we're now seeking you. And look how he, how he speaks about that and confesses his sin. Verse 5, we have sinned, we've done wrong, we have been wicked and we've rebelled. All Israel has transgressed your law. Verse 14, the Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster upon us. Contrary to contemporary preaching, God doesn't think we're all wonderful. In fact, the reality is we're not all wonderful. The reality is you don't know, but I have sinned the whole week long. And if we're honest, so has every other person in this room. And so in prayer, friends, as a walk of our lives, we we need to be serious about our fidelity to God. Look how serious Daniel takes it. I mean, after all, I mean, he's saying all these terrible things. We've sinned, we've done wrong, we've been wicked, we've been rebellion, rebellious. But Daniel is a really spiritual guy. And if Daniel has got a sense of his utter depravity before this God, and this is a prophet of God, a holy man. Look, when I come before him, and I'm neither a prophet of God nor a holy man, then I know I need to come to him with real, genuine remorse, repentance, 
acknowledgement of sin, acknowledgement of failure, and not just personally. Here's one thing we have to remember, friends. Look, as much as you, as much as you may dislike someone in this room, one person over here and another person over here, we're in fellowship. We're a church. This isn't many churches. In fact, even with people from Ross Trevor, the dark side, <laughs> okay, these aren't two churches. There's only one church. And whether or not we know them or not, we are in fellowship with worshipers at that church as much as they're in fellowship with worshipers in this church. And those friends, it's absolutely significant that when we come to God in prayer, that we have a sense of this corporate nature of our existence. One body across space and time. And it's not like when we come to prayer, God, Rivergate's a really holy church and Ross Trevor's a really terrible church, so God, we, we deserve to be here. No, no, it's the case of Lord, we come corporately and we as a people, and particularly we as Australian people now, confess our sins that we fail. We fail to stand up for your righteous law in Parliament. We fail to make a stand for you in our places of employment, in, in commerce, in, in, in schools, and as a corporate Owning up to sin. I'm responsible for, for Nicholas's sin and he's responsible for my sin because we're in fellowship. We're accountable to each other. We come under one God and therefore it matters the spiritual condition of one person within the fellowship. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians about one small sin or big sin in one person? What impact does it have on the community? Terrible. It spreads. It's why we're getting rid of Debbie and Chris. <laughs> and so, friends, when we come to prayer, we, we, we come and with this ownness of, look, we're all involved in this. And so we pray. And can I encourage you when you pray? Lord, have mercy on us as a church. And corporately bring that to God. It's what Daniel does. He brings this truth to God. And God who knows the fact. And here's the thing about prayer. Don't try and hide it. Don't bother. Don't ever pretend when you come to prayer you've been a wonderful Christian that day. Because I can guarantee you, if you could see like God could see, you'd realize what a terrible person you've been. Just admit it. Just acknowledge it. Look, I'd never tell Brenton how terrible I am because he probably... You know, who knows? He'll probably tell me off. He'll probably want to fire me. Okay? When he realizes I've, 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 I've pinched half of his bank uh, credit. Yeah, I transferred it across, you know, online last night. But there isn't any now. Okay? But think about God. He knows. He knows what you're like. He knows what you think. He knows what you do. He knows where you go. He knows what you say. He knows everything about you. Don't bother playing games with him. Just tell him straight. God, you know it. I'm going to tell you I'm a terrible sinner. Yeah. Amen, brother. Preach it. Yeah. Even that dog is a sinner. Get him converted, okay? So, and so here's the thing, friends. <laughs> I like that dog. Hey, you guys never say amen when I've said something good. It's taken a dog to do that. Bless you, brother. Okay? So look, here's what 1 John, 1 John 1 says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not with us or in us. But if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us. Look, Christian, just say sorry. Even if you're not sure, was that really a sin? Just say sorry. 
because he's faithful and just and forgives us our sins and he knows anyway. So Daniel comes before God and he just lays it out. God, we're all rebels. We're all terrible. We deserve everything we've got. And so we're not calling on you because we deserve something good. We're calling on you because you're merciful and because you're in relationship. What do you think this meal let me ask, what has this meal just demonstrated? Several things, but say some things. That we're in relationship through blood. And therefore, we can be sure of his love and welcome and grace and mercy. Just don't hide how you really are. Be truthful with him. And then come and confess in penitence and pray. Secondly, verses 16 to 19, notice his prayer moves from confession and penitence, it's how we approach God, to plea and petition. He now brings his requests to God. Daniel believes that the word is read from Jeremiah about the exile ending is what God has promised. But rather than letting, making that, uh, leaving, that, leaving him sitting on his laurels, oh well, if God wants to do this, then we just let him do it. No, he engages in prayer. He engages in confession. And listen, listen now how he asks God to fulfill his own words. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open our, your eyes and see the desolation as though God can't see. But he can, obviously. Verse 19, O Lord, hear and act for your sake, O my, oh my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Daniel believes this is God's word and brings God's word to him. Look, we know that God is not willing that any should perish. And so what should that drive us to do? Pray. Pray and remind God, God, you said, you take no delight in my partner perishing, my child perishing. You said that. And so that's a catalyst for me to earnestly be in prayer. We know that God wants to make disciples of all nations and build his church. So how do we pray? God, make nations, disciples of all nations and build your church. You give it back to him. Say, God, this is your word. You said it. This is your intention. This is your will. Now do your will, O oh God. Perform that which you intend and do it for your glory. Notice how, how Daniel phrases this in terms of God's glory. Does it bother me that people out there are profaning the name of my Lord? That they swear, swear, use it as a swear word, use it as a terrible phrase and all, everything else they do. Does that bother me? It should do, shouldn't it? And so in prayer, we're praying, God, come. Come and save people in our town so that they may see who you are and the value of your name and, and the greatness of it. Come for your namesake, God, because, because we can't stand and he winds us up ter 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 terribly. Look, I had some friends back in the UK who, who whenever they watched a film, they had a three strikes rule. If there was blasphemy three times, they'd walk out of the cinema. In most modern films. Do you know... I don't do that. I'm ashamed to say that. I have come close to it, but I don't think I've ever done it. You know, when we hear God's name blasphemed, 
doesn't it hurt? It stirs us. And so our prayers are for God's honor to return. And so, so friends, can I encourage you to be prayerful daily, regularly, hourly, fast, God shall God your earnestness. Jesus says, look, when you fast, he expects you to do it. In Luke 18, he told you to keep praying as the parable shows. Look, if Jesus is telling his church, I'm giving you an illustration of what, what your prayer should look like, that you should keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. What is he telling you about your prayer the first time you pray it? It's not finished. You're not going to get it. He's telling you that. You're not going to get it the first time you ask for that thing. Because here's what Jesus says, I want to see that you really want it. How much do you want that? How come my little boy is going on and on and on about this toy? So I bought it for him. No, I haven't. Lorraine, when you give me the money, I'm going to purchase it. Okay? No, I haven't because I need to be sure he really wants it. So that when he gets it, he'll play with it. And then in Matthew 7, and here's the reality. Here's the wonderful thing about prayer. He does want to answer prayer. Listen to this, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given you. There's one thing we have to get out of our heads when we come to prayer. This isn't, God isn't some miser that we're trying to extrapolate something from as though he doesn't want to give you up. He wants to give it to you. He wants to answer your prayer. He wants to lavish great things on you. What father? He, what did you say if he asked for bread or give him a, a, a scorpion? Uh, uh, you know, who would do that? God wants to bless you. He wants to answer the prayer. He wants to give you your heart's desire. He wants you to be in relationships at home that are spirit-led and spirit-filled and have God in them. He wants your difficulties to change. He wants you to have his company in your life. He wants good for you. But he wants to see you pleading, seeking him earnestly, for it. Plea and petition. Take it to the Lord in prayer, in earnest confession and petition. I'm going to round up. If you give me another four or five minutes, I'll be finished. I don't know how long I've been speaking for. I haven't brought my clock today. That wasn't deliberate, I promise you. But I want to conclude now and show you what was God's response to Daniel's prayer? And it's incredible. Verses 21 onwards. Listen to this. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the chief archangel, came to me in swift flight. In other words, with urgency. It tells him in verse 23, as soon as you begin pray, began pray, to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you. Notice the urgency with, with which God responds to Daniel. The minute you prayed, Daniel, I was sent to you urgently. Obviously, there's some delay here. We don't know how long Daniel has been praying for. We're not to assume this was one prayer on day one and Gabriel came. This could have gone on for months. Remember how long Nehemiah prayed for? For four months before God answered. For all we know, this has gone on for months, but Daniel, God hears Daniel's prayer finally. This, uh, this angel comes and he brings in the most wonderful, wonderful response to his prayer. What has Daniel been praying for? Someone remind me, I forget these things. What has Daniel been praying for? Restoration of Jerusalem. He's thinking on what level? When you think of time as a big thing, what's he thinking? 
He's thinking of now. He's just thinking of the immediate. He should have known better because what did God tell him in chapter 8? Yeah, look for, look for beyond exile, return of exile. Don't stop thinking now, Daniel. Stop being, what, what creature? Just look down, wherever they are. Stop being one of them, okay? <laughs> and look further afield. And so he's only looking for the immediate return of the Jews. He's only looking for immediate relief from suffering. He's only thinking of himself and his family and his friends and Israel now. But God in answering prayer says, Daniel, 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 okay, I'm going to give you the now but I'm going to give you much more. I'm going to send you back now, but oh, there's a better return of exile coming. And it's really, the answer to his prayer is really just chapter 8. The vision 10 years later retold. And this is, so this is what God says to him. Look, these are amongst the most complicated words in the whole of Scripture. So please forgive me, I'm going to be super quick and I'll try and explain it the best I can for you look verse 24 77s are decreed for you here's the thing he's looking for the end of the period of 70 years to bring about the end of suffering and God is saying look Daniel you're only interested in one period of 70 I want I want to talk to you about 70 periods not just your period. I want to talk to you about every single epoch of history from now till the end of time wow Verse 25, no one understands from this, from the issue of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until the 91, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and then there'll be 62 sevens and then later we're told there'll be one last seven. So this is what God, I'm sorry for the rushing. Uh, look, this is what God says to him through Gabriel. I want you to know, Daniel, that you're only interested in one period of 70 years. I'm going to give you 70 periods of 70 years. And those 70 periods are divided into three parts. There's, there's, there's a part of sevens, that's one period. And there's a part of 62 sevens, that's another period. And there's, there's one part of one seven, the final period. So God's going to give him the whole future of the world in three stages. The first stage, the first is, is their return to the land when they returned under Cyrus, when they went back home and, and under uh, Antiochus, uh, they, they were restored to their country. Uh, sorry, under Cyrus, they were restored to their country. And then that first period is all their history right up until the second, first coming of Jesus. That's stage one. I'm sorry if this is any confusing. The second period, the 62 sevens, is all of history from, hey, do you know when you make a mistake, the best thing to do is just to stop and say that was a mistake. So the first stage is their return to the land. The 62 stages is all of their history from returning to Jesus' coming. So those two periods of time cover everything up to Jesus. The final seven, the final period, is everything from Jesus' ascension to Jesus' return. So this is how Daniel sees it. Daniel, the first part of your history is you're going to return to the land. It's going to be great. But the second part of your history including this awful king Antiochus, tells you that your future in the land is going to be not as good as you expected. But this last stage of history is telling you that there will come a king who will establish his kingdom and will make everything wonderful at the end. Does that make sense? 
Okay, good, we got there in the end. Okay, and so Daniel gets the entire future of the world in his vision, and God is basically saying to him, it's almost a rebuke, Daniel, I told you this 10 years ago. Stop only thinking about the now. And Christian, isn't it true in all our prayers, what are we often only thinking? Now. We only want temporary relief. We only want it sorted now. And so often our prayers are delayed because God is thinking on a bigger time scale. He's thinking of all of your future. He's doing stuff now and he's delaying answering your prayers and he's looking for your earnings in prayer because he wants to do something for you, not just for now, but for your future. And God cares about that. And he's not just doing something for our future now and even the future of our grandchildren, but he's doing something for the future of our grandchildren's 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 grandchildren. He's moving the whole thing towards the end of the age when he'll return and establish his kingdom, when he'll reign forever. That's the scale he's working on. And so can I encourage you? if you're like me, to stop thinking about the now all the time and to be thinking about God's future for the world right until his return. And think of your existence and my existence as one part of a colossal project. And hallelujah, we can be one small jigsaw piece in a mammoth Time, untimed project that's going to end finally in Nicholas and Gabriel and Bronwyn and Chris seeing Jesus return, establish a new world when we will all, Ross Trevor and Atherston United and Rivergate Christian Community and Flint Evangelical Church in Britain and Trinity Baptist Church in Kent and that other church that we don't like, and, and all these other churches that, that we're all going to finally dwell in a community with Jesus as our God and have paradise and the end of exile and a forever period in the promised land. And that's where we're heading. God bless you. I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, let me. Bron, do you want to just close in prayer? Yeah. Let's have one more song and musicians will lead us. We'll sing together and then Brun will close. Thank you.